Let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word in Judges 3, beginning at verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Waiting for parasites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and he went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. And so the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. That's God's word for us this morning. In that first section of Judges that we read last week, we saw how the children of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, had neglected their relationship with him. And in the verses we read, it was hammered home to us just how far they had fallen in their faith. And, and so we got this painstaking detail of disobedience among God's children, partial obedience, compromise after compromise, tribe after tribe all over the country of Israel, north to south, east and west, fear, laziness, assimilation with the godless culture, collaboration with the enemy. It was downright agonizing to read. And this all resulted in the angel of the Lord bringing a word of judgment. But we also saw that all hope was not lost. There was a silver lining in Caleb and his family because of their faithful lifestyle. And that reminds us that even during periods of history where it seems that most people are neglecting their relationship with the Lord, and that can even happen in the church, by the way, even in those periods where it feels like most people are neglecting their relationship with the Lord, God always keeps His faithful ones. Even if it's a small group, a remnant. And, and, and we want to be sure that we're part of that faithful group to the Lord, right? What's next, immediately after what we read last week uh, in chapter 2? Well, 
It doesn't get better in chapter 2 yet. It's the same deal as last week in chapter 2. Descriptions of neglect, unfaithfulness among God's people. But our verses today that we read in chapter 3 and even some back in chapter 2 help us to find a way out and a way forward. We can find four rules of engagement for spiritual warfare, and they're timeless rules to fight and win spiritual battles, which ultimately, that's what was going on in ancient Israel. This was actual warfare, but deeper, it was spiritual warfare against God's people back then. And we talk about spiritual warfare, uh, the reality is, Satan is real. He hates the Lord. He hates God's people. He wants us to fail in faith. And he's got an army of fallen angels at his disposal to try and bring us down. A Christian magazine once reported this true, a true story that was shared with them. And I don't know how it got into the magazine, but it's a true story. A Christian leader, Steve, was traveling by plane, and he noticed uh, uh, someone sitting, a, a man sitting two seats over from him, thumbing through some little cards, like index cards, moving his lips, and the man was dressed as a, as a professional. He almost looked like a, a professor of some kind. He had a very dark, almost pointy goatee, maybe in his 50s. Guessing the man was a fellow believer, Steve leaned over to talk to him. He says, looks to me like you're memorizing something. And, and the guy said, no, actually, I was praying. Steve introduced himself. He's like, I believe in prayer too. And this guy says, well, I have a very specific assignment. And Steve said, what's that? He said, I'm praying for the downfall of Christian pastors. And Steve said, I would certainly fit into that category. Is my name on the list? And he said, not on my list. So that's, that's kind of scary. And um, we, from, you know, from everything we read in Scripture, the devil is trying to take God's people, God's kingdom down in an organized and in a purposeful way. And, and so we're called to resist him. We're called to be ready for that reality, to be aware of it, right? Um, National Geographic once had an article about uh, the Alaskan bull moose. And, and what happens is the males battle for dominance in the fall breeding season and they literally go head to head with their antlers crunching together as they collide and often the antlers which are their only weapon they're broken and if that happens that moose will certainly be defeated the heftiest moose with the largest and strongest antlers will win. And, and so the battle that's fought in the fall is really won back in the summer when those moose eat continually. And, and the one that, that eats the best diet for growing antlers, graining, gaining weight and bulk, he's going to be the heavyweight in the fight. And those who eat inadequately, they, they develop weaker antlers, less bulk. 
and they'll lose. And this morning, it's about how we prepare for battle, what to do. And in these four rules, we'll see uh, what the solution is to that depressing state of affairs that we see in ancient Israel as they neglected the Lord and we'll also see what the, the solution is for you and for me when we struggle in battle against Satan, sin, and temptation. And even as that happens all together as a church. Because it, we're uh, healthy as a church. God, you look at all these first graders, God is blessing us in so many ways. And so you can bet that, that Satan is going to try to disrupt that in various ways. And, and we've got to be on guard. We've got to be prepared. The first rule of engagement for spiritual battle, watch out for worldliness. Worldliness is a word that, in my thinking, has fallen by the wayside in recent years. And remember, if you can recall the last time you had a conversation about worldliness or, or talked about it. But I think it's very important. We need to know it. The Bible says in Romans 12, and I'm just picking a couple verses. There are probably dozens along these lines. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. And in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. In talking about those who cause division in the church, Jude 1.19 says, those are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. That gives us a little bit of a, a clue of what worldliness is all about. Worldliness, when we use that term, it refers to uh, sin in the world, sinful people, sinful activity. And Christians are called and I'm sure you've heard this before, Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Even while we live in the world, and we want to reach the world, and even we serve the world, world escaping worldliness tells us that in a, in a, we separate ourselves in the midst of all that in a certain sense. There's, there's a separation. Uh, God's Word says we're a holy people. Holy in the Bible literally means distinct or separate. And in our case, we, we, we don't want to participate in sin. We separate ourselves from evil. We want to be apart in terms of who we worship, in terms of how we worship, and our day-to-day -day lifestyles. Our, our families should be distinct Right in, in the days of the judges, God called Israel to rid the land of the Canaanites so that they would be holy, so that they would be separate. Their failure is what caused the problems. They were affected as they lived among these pagans. Pagans mean people who do not worship the true God. They were affected. They were changed. They became worldly. They took on sinful values. And this affected their relationships, and it also affected their worship. Chapter 2, actually ours as well, but chapter 2 gives more detail, says they started worshiping the Baals and the Ashtoreths. These were the male and female false gods that the Canaanites worshipped. And they were fertility gods. The Canaanites prayed to these 
uh, for their crops to be fertile, you know, their, and, and their herds. Their wealth was in, in, in that crop, in the, in the herd, the flocks. They prayed to them to have children. In terms of worship, and I don't quite understand, uh, well, one of these I understand, it, it, off, it would involve child sacrifice, which I don't understand totally the connection between that and the fertility. This one I do. It often involved uh, visiting temple prostitutes, and you would engage in intimate activity with these temple prostitutes. And, and so this kind of worship that they got involved in it really involved pretty despicable behaviors. And it's like, how could that happen to God's people? Well, we talked about that a little bit last week. It wasn't immediate. It didn't happen overnight. It happened through a series of poor choices. We read and we read that they intermarried with Canaanites. So if you think about that, you know, over time... If your wife or your husband doesn't worship like you, it could be a real challenge, right, to maintain your devotion to the Lord. And that's why God says in the New Testament, we're not to be unequally yoked, referring to marriage. There should be a spiritual compatibility. Or you might imagine over time, uh, mingled in with the Canaanites, a friendly Canaanite trying to talk a little religion to his Israelite neighbor, trying to, trying to convert him to his religion. He's, and he's talking to an Israelite neighbor. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure it's great to have such a mighty God that you Israelites have. This, this God who, who brought you out of slavery in Egypt, this God who brought the mighty Pharaoh to his knees, who divided the Red Sea, who, who brought you all across the Jordan River to that's all great. Nothing against him. But, but here in Canaan, it, it's about the smaller day-to-day stuff that we need help with the gods for. Uh, the rhythms of nature. Uh, the day-to-day situation uh, with the crops, the weather, and our flocks, and so on. And, and you know, I can let you know about some of our secrets. How about uh, you and your boy join us, join me and my family at the high place for the next service? There were big holes in that sort of thinking. Israel knew, God's people knew that God works in big, spectacular ways, but that he also works in the day-to-day smallest of things, down to knowing the number of hairs on our heads. But yet, over time, decision after decision, compromise after compromise, they fell for these really pretty despicable foreign gods. I think it would be different for each one of us, but I'd encourage you to think about um, where worldliness creeps in for you and and for, for your family, if God has given you a family. We're called to, to, to keep up our guard. Satan uh, is called uh, the prince of this world. He'd love to erode our faith through worldliness. And so we're called not to assimilate. We're called to maintain our distinctiveness. 
Famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, if I had a brother who had been murdered, what would you think of me if I was daily hanging out with the assassin who drove the dagger into my brother's heart? Surely that would make me an accomplice to the crime. And then he says, sin, the world murdered Jesus Christ. Will you be a friend to it? Sin, the world pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? Can you hang out with it? Second rule of engagement for spiritual battle. Get tough through testing. We read uh, early on in our verses this. God left the nations in the land to test the Israelites. And he did this only to teach warfare to this generation of Israelites who had no previous battle experience. And just as an aside, um, it's, it's interesting that, God's, that the Bible says God left these people in the land. But last week we read about the Israelites failing to get rid of them all. And, and we see that more often in the Bible. The Bible teaches our responsibility and also God's sovereignty. And both are at work in every situation of our life. Our responsibility, God's sovereignty. And we read here that God left the nations to test them. And God always tests his people. This is different. Testing is not punishing us. Testing implies hardship, but hardship for a purpose. In trouble and spiritual war, God does not forsake us. He uses all things, even the hard things, to draw us closer to him and so that we have an opportunity to show our allegiance and love for him and to him. So him, God doing this would strengthen the people like that previous generation who was strong in the Lord so that their spiritual muscles, and in this case literal muscles because spiritual warfare in Old Testament times was often actual warfare, so those muscles would increase. Testing so that we're not flabby but chiseled. And the same discipline that we use to get our, our bodies, our, our hearts, our lungs in shape, running, lifting weights, biking, swimming, maybe a boot camp. Ask Olivia afterwards about her preseason conditioning for basketball at Trinity Christian College, and you'll, you'll get a picture. But that discipline we need to apply to living for Jesus in order to resist sin, temptation, and, and, and that that toughens us up. And, and pretty soon, when you, when you work at it, fight, when you resist, you won't fall as easily the next time because God is making you stronger because you disciplined yourself to become stronger. And, and pretty soon, you're more patient than you used to be. And pretty soon, the temptation to visit certain websites lessens. You can resist temptation in this or that area better. You've toughened up. Now you've got a spiritual six-pack. Third, teach your children well. Not long before this book of the Judges, the Israelites had a very strong commitment to the Lord. They valued their relationship to him. They were 
totally devoted followers of the Lord their God. Chapter 2 that we didn't read, there's a verse there, it's verse 10, says, after that whole generation, the strong generation, the devoted generation died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. One generation. That's how quick it went. That faith commitment was gone just like that. And that to me is scary. How could that possibly be? Well, it's because we're in spiritual warfare. Satan is attacking, tempting, mercilessly us as parents, grandparents, leaders of the church, and our, our, attacking our kids too. How can we prevent the next generation from losing the faith today? The Bible says that it especially has to do with teaching and teaching in the home. There we teach God's will. We teach about God's salvation and we teach about God's people in the Bible. We teach about parents, grandparents, what God has done for us personally. We teach Jesus. We teach the cross. We teach the resurrection We teach our children about watching out for worldliness. We teach them about growing tough through testing. Obviously, you know, we've been starting our our youth ministries, our our, our children's ministries. Today, Children's Church Sunday School Catechism Begin, Asylum and Gathering have already met. This is a part of how we teach our children well. And this is a way that we can all participate as a church family. Whether you're a volunteer, whether you're praying, supporting in different ways, this is a way as a church family we can all participate in passing down the faith. Whether or not you have uh, children of your own in your home. And these ministries are important to keep strong. But this, all this stuff I'm talking about with the church, that's just a part of it. The church stuff is just a support. The real teaching happens in our homes through Bible reading, through daily devotions with our children. Have a children's Bible families. Read it every day after dinner with your kids. Ask questions after the reading and about the Bible story. Teach them the great stories of God's miraculous faithfulness leading all the way to the cross and Easter and beyond. Pray with them at mealtimes. Pray with them before bed. Sing songs of the Lord together around the dinner table sometimes. We do that every once in a while in place of, of the Bible reading. Talk about the Lord at all those set times and at other times in between. Start as soon as possible. Start when they're babies. Start when they're in the womb. And part of this teaching is living like a believer. And and you know as as well as I do that that children uh, can smell it a mile away if something we say, say doesn't match our walk. 
And they can smell it a mile away if this is all real to us. If we have uh, a vibrant living relationship with the Lord. You know, I think of if, if we're regularly, as an example of, of, of this talk, walk stuff, uh, if we're often prioritizing other activities above worship, what do you think their commitment to worship will be like when they get older? I think of just basic stuff like everyday conversation. When, when we're talking together at the dinner table or when they get home from school about the church, the world, politics, friends, uh, teachers, school, uh, may that all be filled with the gracious, loving, humble attitude of Jesus himself. And, and may our, our conversations just be laced with that grace for our kids to see the faith is real to us. It makes a difference in how we live. It makes a difference in how we react to stuff that comes at us in our life. Uh, I got one more thought this morning, and it's absolutely critical to succeeding in spiritual warfare. It's this, depend on your deliverer. Maybe uh, you, read, you noticed, it didn't say in our reading that God gave them a judge. Often we call the, the people in this book judges, but he said deliverer. And that's another way to refer to the Hebrew word for judges. Uh, so we read about Othniel. He's from the tribe of Judah. The very first judge of Israel, there would be others. And judge, like I said, we might call him deliverer. And we see in the account of Othniel that the Israelites did evil. They forgot the Lord and God sold them in judgment into the hands of a foreign king for years. They were in bondage. No way to get out of this on their own. But God raised up Othniel for them. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He went to war. He freed Israel. And they had peace for 40 years. Like Othniel, the Bible tells us that Jesus came from the line of Judah. This small, temporary deliverance that we read about in Othniel's time it points us to a greater and more permanent deliverance. Jesus, our deliverer, went to the Jordan River and God's Spirit fell on him and filled him. He lived by the Spirit and by faith always perfectly. And he did that to free his people from our sins. He did it to free us from the bondage of the enemy, Satan. Jesus was and is the victor. And you know what? He wants to give you and me faith today through His Spirit. And He freely provides that. He freely, freely provides all that we need. Uh, even, even the armor of God. So that all we have to do is, is take it, put it on, so that we can win our battles day to day because he's already won the war. And so I, I just want to encourage you today, watch out for worldliness, live for Jesus, get tough through testing, embrace God's testing of your faith and those hard times that he'll give you because he intends it for your good, for your strength. Third, teach your children in our homes, 
in this church so they don't forget the Lord, so they know the great stories of his salvation for his people, and so that they receive Jesus for their very own. And finally, depend on the Deliverer. When we belong to Jesus, trust in him, and live out of his victory, well then, the impossible stuff, like winning these spiritual battles, well, you know what, then they become possible. There is victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your strength, for your power. Uh, one for us, help us uh, to live out of it. Lord, help us uh, to, to be a, a holy people. Help us to increase in strength as you take us through life and the, the, the challenges that life brings. Help us, Lord, uh, to teach our children well and help us most of all in order to accomplish any of this to depend on you our deliverer fill us fill our church with your spirit in your name we pray and all god's people said amen